Welcome to The Buzz Pod, a monthly podcast produced by the Birch Bay Chamber of Commerce. This program is made possible by Blaine Birch Bay Park and Recreation District 2, Banner Bank, Silver Reef Casino Resort, Loomis Trail Golf Course, Phillips 66 Ferndale Refinery. Here's your host, Sasha Sanguinetti. And we want to thank, yes, Birch Bay Library for their generous sponsorship as well. In this episode of The Buzz Pod, we're fresh off an extremely successful trick-or-treat on the berm event that we'll recap. We'll preview a couple of long-standing Birch Bay New Year's traditions. And we have three conversations to share with you. Alicia Evans, Wildlife Services Manager for the Whatcom Humane Society. Randy Small with Whatcom County Weather. And a sit-down with our November Member of the Month, Birch Bay Realty. Welcome to the November 2021 episode of the Birch Bay Buzz Pod. It's so difficult to find the right bank. I know. It's so confusing. It's a cloud of uncertainty. And checking out your banking options? Oh, sounds overwhelming. Enough! With Banner Bank, it's easy to manage your finances, and help is here when you need it. Be gone, cloud! Oh! Wait, 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 wait! Ah! Thanks, Thanks, Banner Bank. Bank. Yeah! Built for action. Built for banking. Banner Bank. Member FDIC. Here's the buzz in Birch Bay. It's the home stretch of 2021 and we're ready to help our members promote themselves. Please touch base with us if you have any holiday specials, deals, events, or even general updates. Our social and digital media reach is very strong and at your disposal as a member of the Birch Bay Chamber. If you're not yet a member, reach out. Let's talk. Looking back at October, we assisted Birch Bay Neighborhood Deputy Derek Jones in putting on the National Night Out Parade on the 5th. First responders from throughout northern Whatcom County paraded the neighborhoods of Birch Bay on a cool, rainy Tuesday evening. Many braved the not-so-favorable weather to come outside and recognize the parade of lights moving through their neighborhood. Next year, Deputy Jones is looking forward to returning to a more traditional National Night Out format with the fire trucks, ambulances, police cruisers all set up at the Birch Bay Beach Park. We wrapped up the month with our first ever Birch Bay Trick or Treat on the Berm event. Local businesses, organizations, and neighbors set up Halloween-themed stations along the berm between the Bay Breeze restaurant and the library property. While we don't have an official count of the number of participants, it's safe to say everyone was thrilled with the turnout. Look for this event to definitely continue in the future, and it was a bonus that just the week before that orange fencing had been taken down to add to the event. Thanks to the friends of Birch Bay Library, uh, Blaine Birch Bay Park and Recreation District 2, the Bridge Cafe, and all of the others who helped make this such a great event. Looking ahead, the Ring of Fire and Hope returns New Year's Eve, and the Polar Bear Plunge convenes on the first day of the new year. Be on the lookout for more information on these events on our Facebook page. We have a lot to get to in this episode, so let's jump on it now. Time now to recognize the Birch Bay Chamber of Commerce Member of the Month. Well, we're joined now by our members of the month this month for the Birch Bay Chamber of Commerce, and we welcome Ron Kuhlman and James Danger from Birch Bay Realty. And that may sound like a familiar name somewhat. Ron, we were talking before we started this interview that it began as Birch Bay Village Realty, correct? Correct, yeah. Birch, Birch Bay Village Realty was the original company that developed Birch Bay Village back in the mid-60s. 
And then that was Keith Coleman. Then his son, Ken Coleman, took over. And I came here in 2009 and started selling real estate under Birch Bay Village Realty. Ken retired last June and gave me the opportunity to purchase the building and the company, and I did, and changed the name to Birch Bay Realty, just to spread out a little bit more into the greater Birch Bay area. The name and the brand on a business is always important, but in the real estate business, the name and the brand of the people are so very important too, correct? Tell us, tell us a little bit about Ron, and then we'll, we'll talk about James. Well, I moved up here in 2006 to Birch Bay, came from the greater Seattle area, had been coming up to Birch Bay since I was a kid. We used to camp out at the state park up here, and I remember my favorite thing was coming up here, and they had horses and used to ride the horses in the summertime. And then my wife and I were empty nesters in 2006, had the opportunity to move up here and thought we would, came up and got involved in real estate. I'd been a general contractor for 30 years before that and, you know, tried to find ways to get involved into the community and, yeah, we just love it up here just so much. That's a pretty common story. The We used to come here on vacation. We hear that so much at the visitor center. We used to come here on vacation, fell in love with it, knew I wanted to retire here someday, and, and, and here we are. That, that's, that's common. Uh, so much so. Yeah, we see that all the time, people moving up here. They, a lot of people know about it, know about the old times of Birch Bay and how it was a Canadian stomping ground for years and, you know, the carnival that used to be up here. And so lots of lots of memories for people for the Birch Bay area. You know, you talked about being a contractor, Ron. How has that helped you? Um, that, that's got to be a pretty seamless transition from that world into the real estate world just because you already know so much about the structures. Yeah, seemed like a seemed like a good segue for me. Um, I had done development. I specialized in doing log homes, but also did all kinds of other general contracting, remodel, and some framed homes. So, you know, looking at a house is you know, pretty easy for me. You know, just to kind of get a general feel for it. And sometimes, you know, I can remember and know a house better than people. But you know, that's just part of what I did for so many years. And you know, I think I can really help people in their, you know, search just by giving a general understanding of, you know, a home and, you know, what, it's, what that whole process is about. And that's a good transition to James, who made this journey a little bit different path. But again, probably a transition that was relatively seamless. You were in the finance world, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I spent 10 years in finance um, and uh, did everything from being a banker to a financial advisor to um, my most recent uh, was being a branch manager um, up here at the, the Banner Bank in Blaine. And I uh, had a great time doing that. Really loved how involved with the community I could be with that. Um, you know, my wife and I, we moved up here with our kids uh, in 2017. Um, in fact, Ron was actually the one to um, help us find our house that we're still in here in Birch Bay. And so, um, you know, we've just loved the area. It's a great place to raise kids. Uh, it's a great place to have a family. And so, uh, um, you know, as things changed here uh, in 2020 and in early 2021, uh, I kind of looked at my options and Ron gave me an opportunity to try out real estate with them. And I thought, yeah, I, I think now's the right time to do that. It's been an interesting market here over the last, let's say, two to three years. And obviously, COVID here over the last 18 months has made things even more interesting. 
to somebody that's looking to buy a house right now or buy a property right now, what's the best piece of advice you could give them in this climate? And I'll start with you, Ron. Well, in this climate is to be prepared. There's just so many people, you know, shopping for homes right now and looking. There aren't enough homes. So you have really the competitive bidding that goes on with homes. So, you know, be prepared, um, be ready to make an offer and, you know, don't wait too long or you're going to miss out on a great deal. Anything to add to that, James? Yeah, I would say, you know, to echo Ron, have your ducks in a row ahead of time. Um, You know, talk with uh, um, someone about getting your finances ready or getting um, a letter from the bank ready before you're ready to make that offer because sometimes you're going to need to make that offer or or counter offer and the bank's already closed or it's a weekend or whatever else is going on. Um, So make sure that you have all of those things ready to go Um, and, uh, you know, be prepared to make multiple offers because the first house, the second house, the third house that you're looking to buy, you know, it may be so competitive that that it's hard to get into that. And I, and I know of people that have just kind of thrown their hands up and said, to heck with it, I'm going to wait until the market changes or there's a better time to buy. Is that a good move? It could be. You know, we don't know. Right. Um, it's going to be interesting to see when the Canadian border opens up here and the Canadians come back down. Are they going to come down and sell in mass? Are they going to come down and buy? We, you know, we don't know. So, you know, it's always, it's always speculative, you know. I mean, if yeah. we could, if we knew what was going to happen, you know, we probably wouldn't be sitting here at this desk. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> We're visiting with Ron and James from Birch Bay Realty, our members of the month with the Birch Bay Chamber of Commerce. Um, one thing since you've purchased this, this, this uh, property, um, this business, You've been very integrated into the Birch Bay community, both of you. We see at chamber events, we see around town, um, uh, you know, the library project that's going on. I know you guys are strong behind that. Community, obviously, very important to Birch Bay Realty. Yeah, um, you know, the library project is something that I've known about since they first introduced it um, when the county bought the Voight property. And I've always thought it was an excellent idea. Um, it was within walking distance of my house. So, you know, obviously I'm, I'm, I think it would be a great thing. Uh, and prior to uh, coronavirus, I would take my kids to the library every Saturday. In fact, that was one of the things I would threaten them with if they didn't clean their room, uh, <laughs> as they didn't go to be able to pick books out at the library. So, um, you know, we, we think that libraries are really important in communities and, and that this new project is going to be amazing. And I hope everybody can do what they can to help out with it. Birch Bay Realty, I invite you to come down and, and, and visit the office. And I know you do too, Ron, because you have an interesting little hobby that you're, you're ready to share with people out of the office. Oh, of course. Yeah, I've, um, I've gotten into roasting my own coffee lately and I do it at home. It's a, you know, it's a great little pastime that I do and all the coffee I bring down here to the office. So uh, we're testing coffees, tasting coffees every day, fresh roasting. So come on down and uh, have a cup on us. You know, we'd love to sit and chat real estate and chat coffee with you. I'm enjoying a cup right now. This is really good, Ron. (laughs) Ron Kuhlman, James Danger, Birch Bay Realty. Congratulations, our members of the month, and we look forward to visiting with you again in the future. All right. Thank you, Sasha. Thanks. What does your dream getaway have? Luxury hotel rooms, elegant suites, and relaxing spa? We've got that. World-class Wine Spectator Award-winning steakhouse? We've got that. Washington's premier golf destination? We've got that. 
How about the newest slots, table games, and exciting promotions? Oh yeah, we've got those too. Visit Silver Reef Casino Resort and hit the getaway jackpot. Silver Reef Casino Resort, located off I-5 exit 260. We've got that. Immaculate greens, unrivaled natural beauty, championship caliber conditions. Loomis Trail is the epitome of Northwest golf. With water in play on nearly every hole and tree-lined fairways, Loomis Trail provides a fantastic golf experience for those that want a challenge and those looking for a fun getaway. What round are you up for? Tee times available online at golfloomis.com. Start planning your perfect golf getaway today. Now, more from the BuzzPod. Well, we're joined now on the BuzzPod by Alicia Evans, the manager of wildlife services with Whatcom Humane Society. And uh, Alicia, I've got a lot of things I want to talk about, but I want to start first with uh, um, Whatcom Humane Society. You told me something interesting before we started recording, and that was uh, Whatcom Humane Society hasn't always had the wildlife services as, as part of its entity, correct? Correct. Yes. They uh, incorporated wildlife services into their mission and their organization in 2014. So wildlife services, tell me, tell me exactly what, what goes on there. Yes. The wildlife rehabilitation, it's a pretty complex field. And so we have staff that are trained. So for instance, I'm a licensed wildlife rehabilitator and also a licensed veterinary technician in order to be doing veterinary things in wildlife rehabilitation, you have to work with a veterinarian or be a licensed veterinary technician. And in order to have a wildlife center, you need to be licensed with a Department of Fish and Wildlife, which requires training hours, tests, continuing education, facilities, inspections, laws, all sorts of things. So kind of once you have all of that established and you actually start rehabilitating wildlife, what you're doing is you're taking in all injured, orphaned, sick, displaced, wildlife in Washington state or whatever you are permitted for. In the case of the Whatcom Humane Society, we are permitted for all species of wildlife in Washington state, whereas there are other centers who might just do songbirds or waterfowl. So you're doing whatever you're permitted for. And basically the goal is to get that animal through the door, kind of fix any issues, make sure that they are able to not only survive, but thrive in the wild and then ultimately release them back. What, uh, uh, how many people work there? We have six employees. And do you do any, do you have any kind of volunteer work that's available through your organization? Yes, we definitely take volunteers. I think the next recruitment is in February. And what, what's that process like? So that process is our volunteer manager works with volunteers who send in applications and kind of goes through orientations and trainings, sets up schedules, sets up the days of the week that the volunteer may come and then they come to the wildlife center where we do hands-on training of various tasks that need to happen in order to keep the wildlife center running. And the volunteer just keeps doing those tasks. And as they progress, they get to learn new things and it goes from there. I imagine you're a lot like us in the chamber world in that um, volunteers are very necessary, correct? Yes, yes, we definitely could not do what we do without volunteers, so it is 100% necessary. Once again, we're visiting with Alicia Evans, the manager of wildlife services with the Whatcom Humane Society, and what prompted this conversation, Alicia, was um, the fact that we had two shorebirds brought here to the Visitor Information Center on consecutive days. Um, do you, 
and I know there's there's different ways that animals could be injured, but do you guys see an uptick in calls and admissions when there's a storm system that moves through like we had earlier this week? Yes, definitely. And I can tell you that that's why those seabirds came to you guys is they definitely were blown in um, off the ocean and have various things going on with them, but ultimately found themselves in a bad spot where they could be picked up by humans, which that's always a last resort. They will do everything that they can to avoid uh, essentially a predator. We are a predator coming near them. So that's really, you know, there's something very wrong if you can pick them up. And a lot of that for you guys specifically was due to that storm and them being blown in offshore. I want to stick there for just a second. Uh, You talked about uh, human interaction really being a last resort. And, you know, we obviously as humans see everything through a human prism, right? And, and so we think that these animals, they're cute, they're cuddly, they, and that, that couldn't be farther from the truth. We, sometimes it's easy to forget, especially with smaller animals that tend to be um, a little cuter in nature, if you will, um, that, that they are indeed wild animals. Yeah, and I really want to thank you for saying that, actually, because that is pretty much the biggest conflict that we have in this field is the public definitely having the right intentions and wanting to help these animals, which is necessary for them to come into our doors, but remembering that they are wild and most of them are a prey species. They want nothing to do with this. It's very, very stressful for them to be looked at or handled or cuddled or being provided with food and water, things like that, that all just basically elevates their cortisone levels, which in essence is sending them on a downward trend that we don't necessarily like to see. And stress is definitely one of our main reasons for mortality and wildlife rehabilitation. So keeping those things in mind is key when rescuing wildlife. I imagine it varies per species, but what are the correct steps to take if you find injured wildlife. And I, I, and I preface this by saying, I understand every situation is different, but if we were to generalize it, what steps should Sasha take if I'm walking on the beach and I find a, an injured loon? Yeah, that's a great question. So definitely the first thing to always do is call. Cause as you said, every situation is a little bit different. And especially in the case where we have um, baby season and babies, there's so many different things that could be going on and we often don't jump to bringing them in if unless we can prove that they actually are injured or orphaned so give us a call but if the animal is obviously injured and you cannot get a hold of us or if it's after hours or something like that and it's safe to do so collecting that animal and putting it in a box in a warm dark quiet spot with no food or water that's going to be the key there is A lot of times, if they're provided with food or water, sometimes we see accidental deaths where they drown in their water or they're fed the wrong food and then they regurgitate or we're not able to administer anesthesia right away, things like that. So as much as we want to provide that for them, it's best not to. And just keeping them in that dark, quiet spot until you can get a hold of a wildlife rehabilitator and then going through the next steps of getting it to that wildlife hospital. Do you guys handle all sorts of animals or are there certain ones like say protected species that it's a different type of process? No, we are permitted for all species. And so we will take in and rehabilitate all species. Sometimes it does make a difference as far as what the public can do. So for instance, if we're dealing with a swan, that's not something that the public would bring in or catch or capture that would have to go through us or the Department of Fish and Wildlife 
where in the event of a large carnivore, so our bears, cougars, uh, bobcats, things like that, that would not be something that the public would be involved in either. That would have to go through us or the department. So that's why it's so important to call because sometimes that very initial step is a little different if they are a dangerous species or a protected species. Somebody brings an injured animal in, um, can you give us a sense of, of what, what happens next um, once, once we drop that animal off? Yeah, so what happens is it's brought into our examination room and given a quick glance to make sure that there is nothing life-threatening going on because the drive and capture and things like that are extremely stressful. It's best for us to let that animal de-stress when they first get here if they are not needing emergent life-saving treatments. If they are requiring emergent life-saving treatments, we do not let them de-stress. We start doing IV fluids if we need to, oxygen, um, bleeding control, things like that. And we get them started on treatments and medications. And similarly, after they're done going through their de-stress period, then they get a full examination and everything gets looked at. Diagnostics get made as to what's going on with them. Treatment plans, so medications, therapies a diet plan. Um, a lot of the animals that are coming to us are needing specific diets, specific formulas, specific feedings, things like that, housing plans. So what we're doing as far as where are they being kept? Are they being kept in an inside enclosure, an outside enclosure, moving them through the process of rehabilitation with adding things like enrichment, that's very important to their psychological well-being. And then eventually after they've recovered from their illness or injury, or in the case of orphans, are big enough, they will be moved into pre-release conditioning cages where they learn how to basically be wild and do all of the things they need to do in order to survive in the wild. So for birds that might be being waterproof, diving, flying, hunting, all of those crucial behaviors. And then they get assessed for release. And if they meet all of the criteria, they get to be released out into the wild. And if they don't, then they get reevaluated and a new plan is made. Uh, Alicia, you'd mentioned that uh, you've been in doing this in the Whatcom County area for about 12 years now. Um, do you have any crazy, funny stories? What's the weirdest thing you've seen come through those doors? Oh, gosh, this question always gets me. Yes, it has been 12 years. Um, I would say that recently, they're not truly wild in Washington, but we have seen quite an uptick of people having illegal animals, such as alligators and crocodiles. So we've been involved in quite a few cases where these animals have had to be seized and then held um, at our facility since we have the permits and the protection equipment to deal with them. So recently, we just had three alligators that we're happy to say were transported to Florida to their forever home. So those are always pretty crazy stories. And other than that, we've had a couple of bald eagles stuck in fishing net hanging from a tree over a lake that always mm. causes quite a stir and you name it, we see it. It's definitely something different every day. Yeah, it's uh, it, birds tend to be kind of the most common thing that you see. I'd say it's 40, 60, so 40% mammals, 60% birds. Okay. Obviously, everything that you've mentioned here, Alicia, um, uh, it, it, it doesn't come free. Um, is, uh, how are you guys funded? How can the public help? Um, because you're talking about care and medications and paying six employees and training volunteers. That's not cheap. How can we help? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you for asking that. And yeah, what most people think is they think we get state funding or government funding, and we don't. It is 100% a nonprofit and everything comes through donations and sponsorships and just the goodness of people's hearts. And so we're really lucky in that way that we have a community that supports this service. So the best thing to do is honestly monetary donations. They make such a difference because we can put them where we need to. For instance, swan season is coming up and we are anticipating getting in about 200 swans in the next couple of months. And those swans are generally coming in with lead poisoning that requires a very specific medication to treat that. And it is extremely expensive. So right now, monetary donations are being funneled into swan medications. So things like that, that's very, very helpful. And then we also have a list of frequently needed items on the Whatcom Humane Society's website as a wish list. And so those item donations really help as well. And we, we talk about money and we talk about, uh, you know, uh, assets to, to help make the job easier, but really um, is, is education and educating yourself also right up there as far as importance? Yes, definitely. Knowing kind of what's normal, what we have in this area, what to do if you see something, all of those things is really important because it just takes a phone call and we can be like, hey, this is abnormal behavior. We know we need to help this animal versus, oh, it's this time of the year we're seeing bald eagles feasting on um, food items. So yes, they might be a little heavy and not be able to fly off right away. There's kind of different situations for everything. So education and learning about this is definitely key. And the more we spread the word as this service is available and these animals need professional care, hopefully the more we'll be able to do. Once again, we've been visiting with Alicia Evans, the Manager of Wildlife Services with the Whatcom Humane Society. You can find them online at whatcomhumane.org. Alicia, thank you so much for joining us. It's been pleasurable. Well, thank you. Really enjoyed being here. The natural beauty and recreation in this northwest corner of Whatcom County make it a great place to live and play. The Blaine Birch Bay Park and Recreation District 2 is your local source for fun. Group fitness classes, Zumba, yoga, strength and cardio, and pound fitness. Register for these and other activities at bbbparkandrec.org. Blaine Birch Bay Park and Recreation District is a proud partner of the Chamber of Commerce in providing special events for the community. Blaine Birch Bay Park and Recreation, where the fun happens. The Birch Bay Buzz Pod. Well, we're joined now by Randy Small with Whatcom County Weather, weather and Randy Small Photography. And I want to concentrate more on the, the weather side right now, uh, Randy, because obviously we're coming into that time of the year. Um, it was really kind of a hot, dry, boring summer, um, but we're starting to see some activity, which we expected as we get into this time of the year. Yes, and, and thank you for having me, first of all. Appreciate it. Good, good to get to know you a little bit here today. But yes, we, whenever we come into fall, winter, that's really the prime storm activity uh, for Whatcom County. And there's a couple facets to Whatcom County. we got the mountains, and so we have to think about snow levels, especially as we come into November, and we're looking at that right now as we see potential of a lot of mountain snow coming down the road in the next 10 days. Uh, but also just all the way down to sea level, you have well, southerly winds that come right along the bay. And so it's, it's, and then flooding concerns, which we had a little yeah. bit last week. So mainly windstorm flooding and uh, lowland snow. If we get snow down here, that's what's going to create the buzz for storms. 
I want to take a step back, though. Let's talk about Whatcom County weather. And uh, we, you and I were talking before we actually started recording this interview. And it, it, it's, I, I'm always interested in how things come about and how things are conceived and how ideas are conceived. And uh, tell us the story of, of Whatcom County weather. Well, Whatcom County weather started four years ago at the uh, Thanksgiving. So just about four years ago, we're here on November 2nd and uh, 2017 and I had been doing weather on my Facebook page kind of for family and friends mainly again fall storms nothing in the summertime because it's like you said boring most of the time here although we did have the heat wave this year which created a buzz on the page but uh, so four years ago and I was thinking to myself well why don't I just open this up as a community service to the air to, to, to the general population if I'm doing this for my friends and family why couldn't I do this for others as a free service? It was all it was about to help them, especially in the snow. I think that was always the mm-hmm. big one. And so in 2017, I started it. I, I talked to a fellow weather nerd down in uh, the Seattle area, North Seattle, who had a fa- Facebook page kind of doing what I was hoping to do. And uh, she said, I said, what do you think? She said, go for it. And those are all the words I needed. And, and it was always my goal to merge. At that point, I was just starting my photography. I just started to learn how a camera works in uh, 2017, 2016 is when I started taking my first pictures. But I thought if I can merge the beauty of what we have here in Whatcom County with my weather, we, I might be able to create something. And lo and behold, I thought a couple thousand people uh, would be great. Well, we had an ice storm at the end of 2017, very localized. It was basically uh, north of Linden, Badger Road into Sumas, and it knocked down pa- tons of power poles. And I did Facebook Lives, and all of a sudden, all these people are like finding me. And then we got snow, I believe, a couple weeks later. I'm, I'm, it's a little hazy now with all the storms that I've chased. And the rest is history. But- Whatcom County, and you used a you used a key word there that I want to I want to uh, zone in on, and that's localized. Um, I don't want to poke holes or poke shots at the Weather Service or the Weather Channel or any of these big operations because they certainly have their their place, but they're talking to the masses, right? And Randy Small and Whatcom County Weather, you're able to get the micro. You're able to to because we know just in Whatcom County. You and I were talking. I live in Ferndale, and in Birch, it was blowing on Saturday morning, but it was calm in Birch Bay. So even within the confines of Whatcom County, there can be numerous weather events. Oh, absolutely. And uh, so the advantage that I have had coming into this was I grew up here, and I grew up in the middle of four major towns that we have. I grew up in Laurel, which if you're in Whatcom County, you know where Laurel is. Meridian yep. High School would be, I guess, the main uh a thing in, in Laurel going in our diner and there's a fire department. But outside of that, we don't have, a, there's just not, it's unincorporated part of Bellingham, but I grew up on in the middle of there, right there. And so you're uh, north of Bellingham, south of Linden, you know, west of Ferndale or east of Ferndale and west of Everson, kind of in that center of walk of the Western lowlands of Whatcom County. And I can remember growing up as a kid, my, we had a huge picture window, you know, not very well insulated. It would ice up in the, facing the north side. And we had an open field to the north of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, behind Z's recyclers, if that helps. Yes. And we would get pounded with the northeast wind. Our power would go out in all those storms. We had a wood stove, so we would kind of huddle in that living room. And I was always thinking that northeast wind is going to knock that window out. It never happened, by the way. Right. <laughs> But uh, it was always kind of scary, but it was always something that interested me. And I love snow. So that, growing up here, 
knowing the area, I think has been a big help. And then beginning to just get out there in the middle of these storms. So I've been in the middle of just about every single storm since 2017. I don't think I've missed any. Uh, no, it doesn't mean I won't in the future, but I've been in every single snowstorm doing Facebook Lives, ice storm, wind storm, and flooding. I've covered them all. And sold, all my work has been on every national media, NBC, ABC, all of them, CBS had all my video work on there, Weather Channel, and uh, I, I kind of wanted to put Whatcom County on the map. But you're right about the National Weather Service. They're just a big, looking at a big area, and they have one of the most diverse areas in the country right here because of the terrain, mountains, water. And you take Whatcom County, we have Mount Baker, and we have Bellingham, sea, sea level, and everything in between with hills, Sumas Mountain, and we've got waterways, Lake Whatcom, Bellingham Bay, Birch Bay, Semiamu. I mean, you just go on and on. And everything is a little different depending on where you are. And I because I'm on the ground reporting, I'm not only helping the National Weather Service in the middle of a storm saying, this is what's going on, I'm helping the community. That was kind of the goal. And that's what's happened. Whatcom County Weather is the Facebook page. We're talking with Randy Small. Um, I noticed during this last uh, bomb cyclone that uh, was just off the coast, uh, in some of your Facebook posts you'd mentioned, you talked about the the media sensationalizing things, which uh, I think we all know they tend to do with everything (laughs) nowadays. But uh, I do notice that that's something you try not to do on your page is, you know, blow things up and make it bigger. Is it bigger than it is just to get clicks? Yeah, and I think the, the there's a few things. The weather community is kind of a tight-knit group, even all across the U.S., but the Pacific Northwest weather community is, I was, I, and I'm not part of the Southeast weather community, so mm-hmm. this may be a little off, I suppose, but we're tight group here, and we talk to each other through social media, and we do not like it when things the media who really doesn't know a whole lot about what's going on behind the scenes weather-wise, the big broad pattern, so to speak, it bothers us that they are communicating things that are not probably going to happen. And it, I think that combination, we want to set the record straight in a kind way, of course. And so some of the headlines over the last couple of weeks when it came to the bomb cyclone, first of all, some of these people don't even know what a bomb cyclone is. or what it was referring to. And and they use these big words, and then it kind of scares people. And and sometimes I I noticed in one large newspaper in Seattle who had the headline about hitting Seattle, but the rest of the article was fine. It was all Mm -hmm. factually correct. But it was that headline, and it was like, this is not going to hit us. It's going to be way off the coast. But But the remnant parts of it will affect us. There'll be some residual effects. And so... We try to communicate those things, uh, and we try to be honest, forthright, and if we mess up, we're going to admit it, and we'll, we do evaluations after just about every big storm. We want to hear back from the community, how do we communicate our, our message? Mm-hmm. And I think that's touched a lot of people in responding, knowing that we're fallible, we make mistakes, but we're willing to say, okay, but we don't want to overhype any storm up, for sure. We lose credibility. We lose credibility exactly. because of it. That's what happens. Exactly. And that's what we're not. We want to be honest, integrity, and kind on this page. And that's been the three pillars of this page. And I think sensationalism goes against several of those. Maybe not the kindness. Well, it is part. 
Mm-hmm. Because why would you want to string somebody along with that kind exactly. of thing? You have a quote-unquote real job. You have a wife, three children, right? Yes. And uh, you have your photography, which is not just a hobby, but that's a business too. And, oh, you've got this weather hobby, but it's you need resources to be able to do it. And resources means cash. Let's just face it. How, how, do, you, how do you work all this out? Well, I've been blessed by the weather page to have raised donations. Uh, there was always people saying when I was in a Facebook Live, you've helped us get home. I, I remember a few years ago, and I couldn't tell you who it was, but there was a lady, I believe, in Blaine, and it was in the middle of a snowstorm, and she wanted to know if she could go to work. And I just said, I don't think it's the wisest thing, especially if you're not used to traveling in snow. It's not something that you... And, and by the way, that's one of the things we got here. We don't get snow very often, so people don't get the opportunity to practice driving in the snow. I mean, going to Mount Baker is one thing, but yeah. driving when you're down I-5 with a whole bunch of cars is a whole different thing. And so I just told the lady, I said, you know what, I think you should stay home. And she later thanked me and said, I think that was a really wise decision. And again, I don't remember all the ins and outs of that, but people started saying, can we just buy you a cup of coffee because you're helping us? And then I started hearing about a roofing company and then it was the farmer you really help us to know when the rain's coming or when this storm is going to hit. And people started to come out of the blue and hand me money. I had a guy <laughs> in Safeway come up to me a year, a couple years ago, and he heard my voice. And he knew it was me. And he came up and he walked and he's like, and he just gave me a bunch, a bunch of money. And I'm like, this is striking a chord with people. And so people have donated. Third year, we've done the donation. Uh, we've kind of upped the goal partly because I'm giving some of that to my two helpers on the page now, my aunt who does the forecast graphics and my friend Sean who helps post and is out in the middle of a lot of the storms. Uh, I think it's only right that they uh, get some of that. And so I, I'm sharing with them as well. So I've just been blessed by so many people sending envelopes in and then and, and giving through Facebook. And you bring up a good point. You, you talked about farmers. I was telling you that I was in an, a very strong ag area for a number of years. And weather is the single most important component because the wrong decision based on weather can swing tens of thousands of dollars in the wrong direction. Yeah, and, and I, I learned that from Rufus. Uh, some of you may know Rufus. He is an ag uh, meteorologist down in uh, the Willamette Valley, but he sends his, kind of does it region-wide, and he looks really long-term, tries to go 10 to 14 days, which I don't like going past about five to seven days mm-hmm. when it comes to forecasting, but he tries to give an idea of what it might be for farmers. And I read, I've read, I've been on his list for years, and now he's actually, I've not met him in person, it's my goal, but he's become a friend of mine. He uses my pictures uh, and he's had an office up here in Linden before he retired with his ag business. But learning from him and reading his short snippets of, of things, I could see that it was a benefit to the farmer. Now, when you have an, a, a general population person, just somebody who is not farming related, read his stuff. It can scare them a little bit, especially when he'll, he'll mention snow way out there. And people are like, mm-hmm. you know, and then they start asking me, well, is this guy right? And I just have to caveat, he's doing it for farmers in a different way. But it, it, it helped me learn a lot about the farming community, which is big for Wacom and, and Skagit. Now I'm getting Skagit farmers asking me some of this, mm-hmm. some of these things. So, it, yeah, it's been a, and then they they realize the value of an accurate forecast, and their apps aren't doing that for them. And even the National Weather Service, they're not doing it. Kate, frankly, Kate, you mind the Herald and the local media? 
is not able to localize it. And they're not going to be able to answer the questions like I am. I try to answer just about every question I can. I know I miss a few here and there, but that's my goal was to, if somebody's got a, a, a question and most of them are really good ones, I'll try to answer it, you know, within a good amount of time. And again, I think it's important to stress, we don't want to, these aren't shots at this, these other forms of media. Absolutely it's not. just their concentration is, is, is different right. than what yours is at Whatcom County Weather. Absolutely. And I have friends in the media. I, friend, I mean, the National Weather Service, I've toured the place. It, great people down there. So uh, no, there's nothing, nothing about the Seattle news stations. The reality is having somebody on the ground who's lived here is going to be the difference and who is doing this day in and day out. I'm looking at the weather model maps. I'm not a licensed meteorologist. I get that asked a lot. Are you a meteorologist? No, I'm not. I'm self-taught. I've learned from other weather enthusiasts, and I have learned from meteorologists. Some of my friends mm-hmm. uh, down in Seattle and Vancouver, I've got meteorologist friends. Some of them follow our page. Uh, well, so, it's it's very important for the weather service. You constantly see them putting out solicitations. Hey, what reports do you have? There, you know, and these are trained meteorologists. So you talk about being the boots on the ground. That's where a lot of the information is coming from, anyway. Yeah, yeah, and I think the difference between me and a, and a trained meteorologist. I don't have the math background, and some. I frankly, I'm not the I'm not the smartest when it comes to math. It's not my strongest suit. Right. And, and frankly, science was the, the subject <laughs> I hated the most in school. I wish I would have learned a lot more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I struggle with some of those small things. But when it comes to the community here, what they want to know is not the math behind it. How is it going to affect me? How is it going to affect what's coming? And it doesn't matter if it's so, so much about why it's the, the, the behind the, the, the dynamics behind how it's happening. Right. Some of them want to know. But the majority of people, and I always joke, you know, you get the 2,000 regulars that are on interacting with me, and then you have a few more that come out in a, in a windstorm, and then everybody comes out in a snow. You know, they want to know, well, how's this going to affect me? And, and it's not, why are we getting snow at that point? Why, why, why is the, how is the snow forming? That's yeah. not what people want. They want to know how many inches of snow can I get to work. And that's why being on the ground and trying to give accurate forecasts. And I, we've done very well with the snow events over the last four years. Doesn't mean this next one will. But we've been able to accurately forecast pretty well by just looking at weather models and studying them closely. Randy Small with Whatcom County Weather. And as we sit here in your office, you've got a lot going on here. Uh, you've got the, the weather computers behind you, and I'm looking at some wonderful photography. So I want to switch gears here for just a minute. Uh, tell me about Randy Small Photography. Well, that all started in March of 2016. You can look at randysmall.com. My website will, under the About section, is my story. But I always took pictures off my wife's camera. She used to take all the pictures. She hardly ever takes anymore now. But uh, <laughs> she used to take all the pictures, and she, well, I would take pictures, and she would always delete them. That was always the joke. She'd say, the composition's not very good. You're not looking at the whole picture. So one day, driving down to Hannigan from Linden to Bellingham, going on a date, uh, going out for dinner, March. So uh, I, I say a winter full of snow. You have on the Twin Sisters. You got all that snow. It's still spring or early spring. Yeah. It's well, it's not even really spring. It's still the end of winter. No snow has melted off. And I look at the Twin Sisters. I say, stop. Grab her camera, just like I've always done. Take a picture. Not knowing, and all I was looking at was that mountain. Those the, the, the Twin Sisters, and there's probably technically five sisters, but that's another story yeah. for another day. The twins, the North and South, are the well-known peaks, and. I got home that night and I put the put the picture on the computer because I'm like I gotta look at my picture that I took. 
I had no idea it's centered. And, and I, uh, this red barn, and I know you can't see yeah. it, but that red barn, and that's not the picture, uh-huh. but the red barn was right in the middle of the... I never saw that when I took the picture. And it was my aha moment. I said, you know what? If I would listen to my wife and be more patient and compose and look at the whole picture, maybe I could do this. The only problem was I still didn't know how to use a camera correctly. So that set me out to say, okay, I need to go get a book at the library. So I went and got a book at the library, how to shoot in manual mode. Probably the worst book you could pick to start off with. I should have done photography for dummies or whatever the other thing. But, and I did, I read the whole book several times, did some of the little, tried to do some of the exercises, still had no clue. But in the end, that book actually helped me and got me on the trajectory to, and there's so much more to the story. And you have lots of, by the way, the aha moment followed by, I should have listened to my wife. That's happened to me too, once (laughs) or twice, but you have all kinds of products here and and it's great with, with uh, Christmas and the holidays coming up. um, These are very Whatcom-esque gifts, if you will. Yes, and I have calendars as well. I have three different types, scenes, mountains, and sunsets, and they're all walking. Well, there's one picture in one of the calendars taken from Skagit, one or two, but the majority is walking. And I have done, let me just say this. I had a professional photographer, well-known in the Seattle area, tell me when I first started out, when I was asking this person some questions, basically say to me, the market's saturated for photography. You won't really sell anything. And that drove me, and that was in 2016, that I said, okay, I'm going to try to prove this person wrong. Not necessarily that person, but just the general mindset. And so I'm going to try, I'm going to try, I'm going to learn. And that I'm a driven person, disciplined and driven. And so, and, and I realized Seattle photographers, what they have, they have the skyline and they have Mount Rainier and they have a million people to sell to. Yes. I have Mount Baker. So kind of in par with Rainier. I know Rainier is 4,000, 3,000 feet taller, but I have Baker so, okay, but I have no skyline. What do I have where I live? I have the twin sisters and I have barns. And if you look at my photography, you'll see a lot of barns and twin yes. sisters. I've seen a lot of silos too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of silos. And that's been the ticket because country photography strikes a chord. But additionally, because of my weather page, I was able, my name was out there and I started started to get to know people that own these barns. Uh-huh. And started selling to these people the pictures I was taking. And that's what's been wonderful is to meet all these people. And, I I mean, just looking at here, I can tell you, I've met, I've been inside that, and I know, again, you can't see this, but I've been inside that barn, toured it, the barn I took. I know these owners. I've sold stuff to almost all these people. Not not the semi-omni shot, but, or I've given prints to some of them for letting me come on their property because I... People are letting me come on private property, which most photographers won't do, won't ask. But because of my weather page, they see that as a service. So they're being kind to me and I'm able to get shots that nobody else can get. And I have one coming up that I'm about ready to shoot when the Mount Baker comes out again. I'm so excited. It's going to be a new shot, new barn with Baker, and it's going to be on private property. But I'm I'm already envisioning this. I'm excited about it. So, and and you do share a lot of your photography on your Whatcom County weather page. Just about all the main shots that I get. Yeah, I'm going to share it. And and let me say this: I this business. This is how good we have it in Whatcom County. This, for the most part, I do get to Bellingham and I do get out to Birch Bay, you know, and Semiamu a few. But most, the majority of my photography is a 20 minute radius in my house. You think about how good we have it in Whatcom County. Not only the water views and the sunset views on the water, 
but you got the sunrise over the mountains. And, and, and if I could just get across the border, you know, I, I, mm-hmm. I had a plan March of 20 to go across the border and shoot Mount Baker, um, shoot Mount Baker, um, from up there and it, that all fell apart and I still want to because they've got some amazing views of Baker and still kind of within, it would be a little more than a 20 minute radius, but that's how good we have it here. And I've got this business. Most photographers, they're traveling all over. There's Seattle photographers and big city photographers that stay in their city and that's all they do. And they're able to make a, a little bit of a side business or maybe a main business if they're really good. But that's how wonderful it is here. It's Randy Small with Whatcom County Weather. Look him up on Facebook and Randy Small Photography as well. Promise me one thing. Next time you're out in the Bay, stop by the Visitor Center. Let's have a cup of coffee. Oh, that would be awesome. The Buzz Pod. And that will bring to a close this episode of the Birch Bay Buzz Pod. Thanks to my guests, Randy Small with Whatcom County Weather and Randy Small Photography. Also, Alicia Evans with the Whatcom Humane Society. She's the Wildlife Man- Wildlife Services Manager there. And our members of the month, Ron Kuhlman and James Danger with Birch Bay Realty joined us as well. The Birch Bay Buzz Pod is a production of the Birch Bay Chamber of Commerce. You can visit us online, pardon me, at birchbaychamber.com. Look us up on social media as well. Facebook, search Birch Bay Chamber of Commerce. And on Instagram, search for that same thing. If you have an idea for a future topic on the BuzzPod, or if you just want to give some general feedback, my email address, you can email me directly, Sasha, spelled S-A-C-H-A, at birchbaychamber.com. Again, that's S-A-C-H-A at birchbaychamber.com. Our phone number here at the office is 360-371-5004. If you like this podcast, be sure and rate, subscribe, and review. And we'll be back right around the 1st of December with another edition of the Birch Bay Buzz Pod. Have a great November. This has been the Buzz Pod, a monthly presentation of the Birch Bay Chamber of Commerce. 